Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. If you've got your Bibles, you can go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, and verse 19. We're going to read 19 through 21, or you can follow along on the screen. I think that we'll probably learn some things today that we didn't realize before. It's amazing how many things we can learn and how long we can be in church and still hear some more, you know? John three nineteen through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this word. Father, I'm asking that you would help me to yield to your Holy Spirit and that you would help me to preach this. I'm asking that you would take over and that you would minister your heart to the heart of your people today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to call this message the Gospel Manifesto which is just pretty fun to say, right? Everybody want to say it now? The Gospel Manifesto. You know, one of the things that we know here at the river and even in our kids' church, we know what uh, the gospel is. I don't know if the pulpit's crooked or the rug. I won't look down. (laughs) We know what the gospel is. What is the gospel? That's it. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus lives again. The word gospel means good news. And we know here that the good news that we talk about, yeah, come get those sermon note sheets, kids. If if the kids don't have their sermon note sheet challenge, you get a prize eventually for, for doing these (laughs) <laughs> and so when, when we say we're bringing the good news, the good news that we preach, what, what Paul would say was my gospel. Paul said, my gospel, the gospel that I preach, which we find in 1 Corinthians. And he says, the gospel that Jesus came and that Jesus died, that Jesus lives again, the good news. But I want to go a little further today about what this what this means and about 
the gospel. We're going to start like this. You know how when politicians, we'll use presidential candidates, you know how presidential candidates, they hit the campaign trail with a message. They hit the trail with a specific mission that they are proclaiming. Before they start their campaigns, they have already done their research to find out the biggest problems that exist. They've already found the hot-button issues. They find the things that will trigger people's emotions for the most attention, and hopefully to meet those people, promising them the thing they want, right? That's the basis of their campaign. They declare the special thing that they are going to do for the country. Every campaign has a motto. Every campaign has a slogan. Every campaign talks about what they're going to do for America or for, uh, you know, the change that they're going to make. And they always try to have a unique hook. They try to offer you something that the last guy didn't. Or they try to offer you the resolution to what the last guy messed up. Or they try to offer more prosperity and more success for the areas where you have lacked. They use this unique hook as their platform that they are offering, what they're going to fix, the good thing that they're going to bring, the change they're going to make, the happiness that you're going to have by them being in office, the success you'll experience, the prosperity, the victory that they are going to bring about. They go about proclaiming good news about the things that will happen when they are in charge. In Bible times, this is the same thing that a king would do when they were getting ready to come into power or when they would take their place on the throne. When there would be a new king, they would begin to proclaim their good news, the change that they would make. We have learned many times that the word gospel means good news. The word gospel is not a spiritual term. The word gospel, although it is throughout our scripture, it's not really a religious term, gospel. It's not a spiritual term. It's not a religious term. It's not a biblical term, although it is a term that's now biblical. But that's not the word gospel. The word gospel just means this good news. But this was a very common term well before Jesus. A gospel was the proclamation of a king or a leader of what they were going to bring, the change that they were going to make. Gospel was a word that all people were very accustomed 
to hearing. A gospel was simply the declaration of the good things that a king promised to do when he was on the throne. And every king had one. Caesar would have the gospel of Caesar. Whatever king was on the throne, they would have the gospel. Uh, if, if Nick was the king, he would have the gospel of Nick. The gospel of Corey, the gospel of Daniel. Whoever would come into power, the gospel of, and the people, oh, what's their gospel? What's their platform? What's their motto? What's the thing that they are going to do? A gospel was really a king's manifesto of his plans and his intentions, how he would operate. That's what a manifesto is. What's the definition of a manifesto? A manifesto is a written statement declaring publicly the intentions, the motives, or the views of the issuer. You could have a manifesto. You could make a written statement of what you believe, what you stand for, and a plan of what you are going to do to carry out those beliefs. So a gospel is a king's manifesto. It's his good news. In 1948, Billy Graham and his team were all together in Modesto, California. And it was very early in his ministry. And the ministry was growing like crazy. And with growth comes problems to solve and pits to avoid. You want to operate in wisdom. You can have a great thing going on, but a, a lot of people don't realize the danger that comes with a great... The more people, the more problems. The more people, the more danger. The more people, the more things you have to watch for. You have to operate in wisdom. And so Billy Graham and that, uh, that original team, which stayed with him forever, they were talking about, they said, how can we... We've seen great ministries that have been destroyed. We have seen great ministries that had a good thing going and they were sincere and they, you know, they were they were the real deal and they were doing the stuff. But things happened and then it ruined the ministry. And they said, what are these things? What are the main things that destroy a ministry? And uh, and they came up with a list through a lot of discussion and a lot of prayer. They realized that there were people that got into financial trouble not handling finances right or the temptation to misappropriate funds or keep funds back for wrong uses. They realized that was something that had hurt a lot of very well-intended ministers and ministries. Uh, sexual immorality, great temptation. For all, it can be for all people, but this is something that had been a problem with in, in a lot of ministries. Uh, another issue that had been the downfall of a lot of ministries was that many ministries, they were not honest when 
sharing the numbers about how many people attended their meeting or how many people got saved. They would blow the numbers up to make their ministry. You know, I, I don't know how many of you studied church history and all the great tent revivals of like the 30s and 40s and 50s and the 60s, but um, it, it's funny because if you look at the old posters of the great tent evangelists, their marketing was much like circus marketing. The way they tried to get people at their at their meeting, everybody claimed to have the biggest tent. <laughs> and so, you know, one guy would put a poster up and, you know, our, our revival tent is this big. And so the other guy would make a poster that his tent was bigger, you know. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a funny thing. But that was the deal. You know, we pulled a bigger crowd. Come to our meeting. We saw this many thousands of people. This many people came. This many miracles happened. But they weren't honest about those numbers. They, they would fudge on those numbers to, to blow those up. And so Billy Graham and them made, made note of this. And so they created a, a summary of these issues and how to safeguard against them. They created a summary of principles that they would stand by to protect the work that God had called them to. And there were four points, four points, financial transparency and accountability. They would get enough people involved to oversee things. Uh, never would anyone be alone with a member of the opposite sex. They pledged never to criticize other preachers, this whole going back and forth like the tent thing and, and all of this, or other ministries. They pledged to work in cooperation with other churches and ministries as much as they could for those that believed in Jesus for salvation. And finally, they pledged never to exaggerate numbers in attendance or in decisions. They laid this out because it was important to them. This became known as the Modesto Manifesto. And it is famous to this day. And a lot of ministries have adopted and adhered to the Modesto Manifesto. Now, 2,000 years ago, people knew that the only, the only people that had a gospel was a king. Somebody on the street didn't claim to have a gospel. Some ordinary person, some poor person. You don't go around claiming you have a gospel unless you're a king. If you declare you have a gospel, you're really saying that you are a king because kings have gospels. The implications of having a gospel meant that you were a king, a ruler, a great leader with great authority. It was quite a statement to make to have a gospel. Now, some of you are probably getting way ahead of me already. You can understand now why so many people were all shaken up and all bothered, why governments at that time were in such an upheaval when this guy, this poor carpenter's son, Jesus, shows up on the scene from Nazareth nonetheless. They're like, Andy's from Washington County. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Come on, somebody. They're like, wait a minute. This guy shows up and says he has a gospel. Who is can anything good come out of Nazareth, they said? In another place, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Who does this guy think that he is? Je- Jesus, who's Jesus? And by the way, Jesus was a common name. A lot of people named Jesus. Who is this guy walking around saying he has a gospel. This is a big part of why they wanted to kill him. Because he's showing up saying, I mean, really, by all intents and purposes, I'm the king. And not just an earthly king. He claimed his father was God. Now, there were other people that called God the heavenly father, but they said, no, 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 no. We don't mean like that. He's not saying God's the father. He's saying God is his father. He's saying God is his dad, like in a, in a very literal way, that he's the son of God, the only begotten son of God. He's showing up. He says he's the bread of heaven. That is come down. He says he's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's acting like the Jews, Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that he has a gospel. They wanted to kill him. They didn't want this. And what was this proclamation? What was his gospel? Now, I know we say, when we preach gospel, we say Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus lives again. Yeah, we're looking back at that. We understand that that is the good news for us. We understand how that that's how he accomplished what he came to do. But what did he go around declaring that he was bringing? What was his campaign platform? What was his manifesto? What was the declaration he was making of the change that he would bring? What he would do on the throne that no one else had done before? How he would redo what was undone? How he would restore what was lost? How he would fix what was broken? How he would make up what was lacking? How he would heal what was sick? What was his manifesto? What was the gospel of Jesus Christ? What was he promising? Well, we find a lot of places, but right now let's look at Isaiah 9. By the way, I don't have a long word today, but it's a strong word. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun. I know this is a little confusing. Hang with me for a second. In the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This prophecy from Isaiah is talking about when the one would come. The people who walked in darkness. Somebody say darkness. And that's how we all are before we come to Jesus. We walk around in sin. It's, it's the darkness of not knowing him. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Somebody shout light. The prophet is claiming that one's going to come and turn the light on. And that all the darkness that has existed, all of the impossible would become possible. Not being in right standing with God would become possible. You would be able to be in right standing with God, to be in fellowship with God, to know God, to become a child of God through the one who is the son of God. They've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He says that light is going to come. You've been walking around in the dark, but this one's coming to turn the light on. He says, you've been walking around in heaviness, in sorrow. He says, but this one is bringing joy. He said, you know how the joy comes when you have sown seed in the ground and you have fertilized the ground and you have tilled the ground and you have kept the ground and you pray for rain and rain does come and then a storm doesn't come and destroy it and all of your work, finally a harvest comes and you can feed your family. The feeling of fulfillment, the feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of knowing you're going to live, he said, it's like the joy of the harvest. He said, this one's going to come and bring joy like a harvest and turn the light on. But then he says, he's going to break the rod of the oppressor. He's also going to defeat your enemy. Not only is he going to turn the light on and show everything for what it is, he's going to bring you joy. Not only is he going to turn the light on and bring you joy, he's going to destroy your enemy and the slave master that's held you down. This is a pretty good campaign platform. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What if, what if early in this, early in the 1900s, what if someone would have showed up for the precious Jewish people in Germany and said, I'm fixing to roll up every uniform with a swastika and burn it for a fire to keep you warm. He said, and here's how we're going to do it. For unto us, a child is born. And unto us, a son is given. And the government, think how this would rattle a government. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, this is big words, 
this is a big thing to show up and tell all the Jewish leaders that this guy's going to sit on David's throne and over his kingdom. He'll establish it. He'll uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know how mad everybody got when Trump said, make America great again? Come on, somebody. Can you imagine the political climate when this one shows up and says, yeah, this, my gospel, my manifesto, this, this is what, and then, and then he rolls up into the temple and says, hand me that scroll while we're reading today. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set it free those that are in prison, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he rolls it up and says, by the way, this one is fulfilled today in my reading gospel campaign platform manifesto what is the gospel of jesus christ what happened what i miss we'll get it later this is his gospel this is his gospel he said i'm coming to do that and then we know that he did it because he came he died, and he lives again. His gospel is the forgiveness of sin. His gospel is redemption from the curse of sin. His gospel is light in the darkness. His gospel is freedom. His gospel is that he will live and rule and reign. His gospel is that he will take over and that we will reign with him. We'll read our text again. John 3, 19 through 21. I think it will make a little more sense now. And this is the judgment. Light came into the world. He did this that he said he was going to do. But a lot of people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They didn't want this light. They didn't want his rulership, which is the age-old predicament in the whole story of the Bible. God says, here's how I set it up. Here's my way. And people say, eh, rather do it this way. And then they reap. God gives them what they want. You know, a lot of people think God's going around punishing them. The, what we've used as punishment, honestly, was God saying, I'll give you what you want. That's the way you want to do it. I'll let you. And here's what, ha here's what happens when you do it that way. And then we act like God did something to us. No, these are the results of doing it our own way. And God told us this is what happens when you do it that way. 
He came to offer forgiveness of sin, redemption from the curse, light in the darkness. They loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates light, does not come to the light because his works will be exposed. But whoever does what is true, whoever operates honestly, does come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. His gospel not only promised the answer, but it pointed out the problem. In offering the answer, it showed what the problem was, sin. And it said that they were blind. We don't like to be called a fool. We don't like to be called gullible. We don't like to be called vulnerable. We don't like that to be pointed out. Even if it's true, we don't want those areas to be pointed out. And this is what it does. The gospel says, I'm here to save you, but you can't be saved till you're lost. I'm here to save you, but you're going to have to get real about, you know. If you're drowning and somebody comes to save you, and you've got too much pride to let them, so you say, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. As you're sinking, the answer means nothing if you won't face the problem. His gospel not only promised an answer, but pointed out the problem of their sin and said that they were blind to the truth and they were walking around in the dark and that he was the truth and he is the light. Somebody say the light. To really understand this, to really understand his gospel platform, to really understand his manifesto, to understand why Isaiah is a big deal and what John said is a big deal, we have to go all the way back to the garden. We have to go all the way back to creation. I better get a mic stand so I can do this. I'm going to steal Lala's. I want to show you something. I think it's going to bring this to light. No pun intended. So we go back to the garden, okay? And I, I usually have a headset on when I do this. God created, God created. <laughs> It's not an omnidirectional mic. God created Adam and Eve. He creates humanity in the garden. Now, kiddos, pay close attention to this. God forms Adam, the Bible says, of the dust of the earth. He takes, he takes the dirt and he forms Adam. And he builds him. He gets him all, he gets him all ready. And then he breathes in him to bring him to bring him to life. Okay. I have a a lamp here. And I want to show you the parts of this lamp. You see the black metal part. You see the frame. This frame holds all of the rest. Okay. You and I have a, a similar 
outside frame that holds us. What's it called? It's called our body. It's our body. It's our physical body. And so this frame is like the lamp's body. It holds the rest. And he made that part of the dirt. God made that part of us out of the dirt, a body. But inside we have this lampshade. Now this lampshade, it does a couple of things. It helps to diffuse the light which comes from inside of the lamp. So it's not just a a body. It's not just a frame or a holder. The lampshade actually has a purpose. It works with the inside and lets it show through the outside. You don't only have a body, but you, how many of you have a mind that you think with? How many of you have a will? That means you want stuff and you have motivation to do stuff. How many of you have emotions? You feel happy, you feel angry, you feel sad. Well, your mind and your will and your emotions have a name. Those three things together have a name. Does anybody know what they're called? Your soul. They are your soul. So you are in a body. You have a soul, okay? But your soul is not the life force that makes you alive. It's your thoughts and your desires and your emotions, but it's not what makes you live, and neither does your body. No, you have something deeper inside, which is the life. Do you know what it's called? It's called the spirit. You are a three-part being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You are in a body. So I have to show you this. You've seen the body of the lamp. You've seen the soul of the lamp, the lampshade. But we're going to look at the spirit of the lamp. Here's the spirit of the lamp. This is the light. The Bible says that God formed Adam of the dust, but then God breathed. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became alive. His spirit. Our spirit is the real us. And our spirit is the part of us that has relationship with God. We're able to communicate with God because of the spirit. God told Adam and Eve. He said, all of these Trees. They have different kinds of fruit. You know, and there were vegetables growing in the garden. There was everything. He said, you can eat of any of these trees. He said, except one. He said, there is one tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat 
that one. He said it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of knowing right from wrong. Now, you and I, we call the knowledge of right and wrong, we call that the law. The law shows us right and wrong. Now, with a Bible on this side of the cross, we all know we can't live, we can't live uh, in relationship with God by how much good we do. The law can't produce that. You see, Adam and Eve already had the light on. They were walking every day in the garden with the Lord. The Bible says Adam walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. He was already in relationship with God. And God said, you already have this. Don't go partake of law. Don't go partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where your right standing with me depends on how much good you did or if you messed up or balancing out your good things with your bad things. He said, don't partake of the knowledge of good and evil. We're just going to do it this way. What did Adam and Eve do? They went and did it their way. They listened to the voice of the enemy. The enemy in the garden, the serpent, he told them, he said, God's not telling you the truth. You won't die if you eat of that tree. He said, you'll be just like God. Oh, a shortcut to be just like God? Great. And he was lying to them, and they partook of it. You know what happened? The light went off. They died spiritually. The inside died. They still had a body. They still had a soul. But they didn't have this light. the light that would show through their soul and use their body for the glory of God. It was called sin. Darkness had entered in. The Bible we read today. Darkness had entered in, and they were dead men walking around. That's what Colossians says that you and I are before we come to Christ. It says we are dead in our sin. We're dead in our darkness. We're dead men walking around. Oh, we can think because we have a soul. We can enjoy certain things because we have desires. We can feel. But we're dead men walking. Body, soul, no spirit. Is this making sense? So listen to this. Human beings think, I want to have the light back on. I want to know God. I want to be in relationship with God. I want to be in right standing with God. Hmm, how can I do that? And man tries to figure it out his own way like eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, balancing good works and bad works. 
well, I just won't sin, and I'll do a lot of really good stuff. Well, that's great, but it doesn't turn the light back on. So human beings say, oh, I've got an idea. I'll be religious. If I'm religious enough, if I do enough religious things, I'll be right with God. It doesn't turn the light back on. Man says, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll give in the offering. I'll pray prayers. I'll memorize the Bible. These are great things. But they don't turn the light back on. You see, no human being has ever been able to turn the light back on. But God did not want to leave us like this. God said, I'm going to do something about it. A human being made the mistake, and the light went out. He says, so a human being needs to fix it. He said, but no human being can fix it. So this is what God said. God said, I will send my son Jesus to become a human being, to live a sinless life, and to die on the cross in their place to pay for their sin. So he did. Jesus came, and he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, they took his body down, and they wrapped him up in grave clothes. You remember this? They wrapped him up. We'll, we'll use this for our grave clothes. They wrapped him up in grave clothes. And then after they did that, after they wrapped him up in grave clothes, they laid him in the tomb. And they rolled a big rock in front of the tomb where Jesus' body laid. But something amazing happened. Because three days later, the stone was rolled away. And guess what? Jesus' body was gone. He had risen from the dead. He got up again. But this is the best part. The Bible said that if we will confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior, Paul said it like this, if we will believe in our heart, and confess with our mouth that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. He turns the light back on. When we come to him and we say, God, I'm just a body and a soul, but I'm spiritually dead because of sin. I've tried to be good, although I've messed up a lot. I've tried to be good, but none of my goodness turned the light on. 
But God, today I realize I can't make light, but you are the light. Today I realize that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and that he came into darkness. He died in my place and he rose again. Jesus, I say yes. I want you. Forgive my sin and move into my life. Turn the light on. Singers, musicians, would you come? Very, very quietly. I'd like to ask everybody to stand, but don't move. Stand up and stay where you are. Kiddos, I need your help with this. Nobody talking, nobody moving around. Very quiet. Very quiet. And all eyes right up here on Pastor DJ. If you want this for you, you can have it. Jesus paid for it. If you have never come to him and received him as Savior, I don't care how good you've been. I don't care if you're the member of a church. I don't care if you belong to a great denomination or religion. None of those things turn the light on and you are lost. And you are not going to heaven. We only get to heaven through Jesus himself. And it only works like this. If you're here right now, and you say, that's what I want. I want to say yes to his gospel. I want to say yes. I feel the Holy Spirit so strong. I want to say yes to salvation. I want my sins forgiven. I want my name written in his book. I want to know I'm on my way to spend eternity with him. There are people in this room that have made this decision already. But there are people in this room that have not. There are people here that have never been what the Bible calls born again. If you're not born again, this is your moment. This is your day. Would everyone bow their head and close, close their eyes? If you're here and you want the light on and you've never done that before, I'm going to count to three. And as soon as I say three, you're going to shoot your hand up into the air and you're going to keep it there to let me know, Pastor DJ, I want Jesus inside. I'm ready for him to turn the light on. Get ready for that three. Get your hand ready right now. I don't care how young, how old. You're going to shoot that hand up on three. One, two, three. Shoot that hand up high. You say, I want Jesus in my heart and life. I want to be born again. I want to be saved. If your hand is up, look at me right now. Come and join me. Come and stand right here. Come and stand right here. Don't wait. Come on, sweetie. You say, I want to be born again. I want to know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I want to be forgiven. I want the light on. I want to be born again. Come right now. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another moment. 
Come right now. Come right now. Now, maybe you say, I didn't put my hand up, but I wish I had. I want to be saved. Come right now. It doesn't matter if you didn't put your hand up. Get out of your seat and come right now to receive Jesus. We're going to have him to turn the light on, on the inside of you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come right now. Don't wait. Come ahead. Come ahead. If you're watching at home, you can be saved right where you are. You don't have to be in this church building. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with that that I just explained. So as we pray out loud here, you pray out loud at home. Because the Bible said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. So we're going to do it now. Everyone pray this aloud after me. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you love me. Lord Jesus, I know you died for me. I know you got up from the dead. I want you to live in me. Wash me of my sin. Save me and move in. And your word says that right now I am forgiven. I am saved. I am born again. I am on my way to heaven. And the light is on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.